Well, good morning and welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. And today we're going to see what washing other people's feet has to do uh, with the commandments of Jesus. So stick around. Well, hey friends, my name is Marcus and I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel. I'm so glad that you've joined us today uh, online. Well, I want you to take a little bit of a trip with me. It may not be far, and actually we're not even getting out of our seats, uh, but I wanna take you on a trip to the bookstore. It's gonna have to be in our minds though. So I want you to close your eyes to like think of that bookstore. Think about the smell of fresh paper, the coffee brewing at the, the shop that's often in the bookstore the shelves and shelves of stories and worlds and eras that you can leap into at any given moment. Well, I love reading, obviously, I'm sure you can tell. And a bit of, in a bit of a nostalgic way, as I'm walking around a bookstore, the smell of the pages and the coffee, it's kind of like a second home for me. Before I went to college where I was required to read a lot uh, as, as a requirement and not necessarily as a choice, uh, I knew my local books are like the back of my hand. I knew it in and out. Uh, I could tell when displays were changed or adjusted or moved. I could tell when like a single new book was added to the store. I could see when um, things were reshelved into different areas. Like, in fact, I basically could have maybe been like an unpaid uh, employee because I knew that bookstore so well. I knew the, the blueprint and the, uh, all the sections and it was a place that I was very, very familiar with. Well, I would like typically prowl that bookstore just to pass the time. I lived in a smaller town growing up. And so that was just like one of the few things that you could do past like 5 p.m. Uh, was go to the bookstore. And so me and my sister would often walk around and prowl. And as I walk around the bookstore and we're still there, right? You're still with me or walking around the bookstore in your mind. I'm sure that there are probably some of you that like, you're like, no thanks, you're not at the bookstore. You didn't even start coming to the bookstore with me, you just checked out. Uh, but that's okay. As I walk around this bookstore, um, and as I have even like recently, I've noticed a bit of a trend, and I'm not sure if you've noticed it too. There's one particular section of the bookstore that I think has grown the most over the, the last decade. Can you guess what it is? I'd love to hear some of those thoughts uh, in the comments of what you think kind of section or type of books have made like the biggest um, increase over the last decade. Well, it's not uh, dystopian novels, because why uh, read a dystopian novel when it feels to some extent like we're living in one with floods and fires and uh, catastrophic weather and a pandemic and all those things, like <laughs> we're, we're living in one, so I don't know if you need to read one. It's not general knowledge books, it's not biographies, it's not stationary. Well, I think the section that has grown the most over the last decade is the self-help section. Well, I think literature provides a little bit of a timeless glimpse into the culture of the day in which that particular type of literature was written. And I think that's why books can transport us into a different world and a different time, not just uh, like in the fantasy or the reading sense or your imagination, but also in what was going around in the culture at the time that it was written. And I think the explosion of these self-help books are no different for our culture today. They're kind of a glimpse into what uh, our culture finds important or is going around in our world. So you know some of the taglines uh, that self-help and self-improvement uh, books have come up with, like you do you, you live your truth, you have everything within you that you need to thrive and to grow and to be successful 
uh, in your career, in yourself, in your productivity, all of those things. And it's clear that in this cultural moment, society values this internal individualistic mindset and lifestyle. Now, to be clear, as a caveat, I think self-help books are, are beneficial in that they've helped us with self-awareness. They've helped us in ways to grow and to contribute both to like each other and the world better. Uh, they've helped us have a holistic understanding of wellness and health. So by no means am I like throwing all the books out. But the reality is uh, they are not purely good in and of themselves. And I think kind of the dark side of this cultural moment is that these books or this like constant individualistic lifestyle is causing us honestly to become selfish, to become more hyper individualistic. And I don't know if it's actually contributing or creating goodness in our world, but when it's pushed too far, I think what this actually just does is it creates silos and it creates islands out of society because you are all that you need and you're the source of all your knowledge and you're the person that affirms yourself over and over and over again. And not only that, but I, I think that to be honest, that this mindset is actually sometimes in contradiction to the way of Jesus and his word. Because in our world today, everything, everything that we do is a race to the top, whether we make it, whether we wrap it in something that maybe looks a little bit nicer, Everything is a race to the top in our career, in our life, in our family, in our income, and in all those things is always a race to the top. That's not necessarily something even new. And the reality is you do that, you race to the top, you climb that ladder, no matter who or what are the casualties around you. But Jesus has shown us a different way. He's shown us a different way in his word because as followers of Jesus, or even those exploring faith, I want you to know that our race is not to the top. But in the realm of faith, Jesus defines success as a race to the bottom. He defines success as a race to the bottom. Well, we're continuing our Gospel of John series, and, and last week I gave kind of part one of a two-part sermon, and today, here you are at part two, um, but if you haven't listened to part one and you want to catch up, uh, you're able to do that. So wherever you're watching right now, whether that's Facebook or YouTube, um, if you go back into our videos, you'll find last week's video um, in the list of videos. And so if you want to catch up either before, during, or after this, um, this stream here, feel free to do so. Um, it, it's not required to understand this one, but it may help you understand kind of the flow that we're going through. So let's see what this race to the bottom is as we open God's word and, and learn from the Holy Spirit together. Um, but before we open God's word, let's pray. God, we thank you so much uh, that you have shown us a different way, that we don't have to find this unattainable race to the top, but Jesus, that you've shown that um, the way that we find success, the way that we serve is actually a race in the opposite direction. And so Lord, I pray that you convince our hearts uh, that serving each other is one of the best things that we can do um, and is a way to, to glorify you and show people that need you who you are. God, we love you and we thank you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are continuing in John chapter 13 today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible that you can turn to right now, we would love to kind of give you some resources or give you a physical Bible. If you go to myevangel.church forward slash Bible, it will give you all the ways that you can do that, but we're going to jump in. Well, last week we read at the beginning of John chapter 13 about Jesus's final days or the beginning of Jesus's final days on with his earthly ministry. And that it, his ministry uh, always, but particularly in, this season, in that season, was motivated and marked by love. 
And he shows this by washing the disciples' feet. A little bit of a weird like picture, but it's a culturally radical act in that time that was kept for who were considered the lowest of the low, the lowest of servants. And yet Jesus shows his greatness by doing the work of the least of all. And not only that, but it says he loves them to the utmost extent, to the very end, and this is an expression of that. And he serves the disciples to point them to a spiritual cleansing from sin uh, by his act on the cross that was coming in a few short days later. He says that there is a place at the table for all of us, no matter how dirty our feet are when we come to him, that there is a place at the table. And this first part of John chapter 13 is about Jesus' love for us and how we should respond to him. It's about our vertical relationship between God and us. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just have that part of like this vertical relationship. He actually takes it a little bit further. He continues on in John chapter 13, verses 12 to 13, when he says this, he says he washed, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Well, after this act, Jesus sits back down at the dinner table with his disciples and kind of almost takes a moment over the meal to kind of unpack this moment that he had just shown the disciples. And he often does this when he talks about a parable or something symbolic. Uh, it was quite often that the disciples were like, hey, Jesus, we don't know what that meant. And then you'd have to unpack that. And so uh, this seems to be like a moment of kind of laser point focus for Jesus again. Um, he doesn't want to leave this act up to speculation by his disciples, but he wanted to be very clear about what he had done for them and also what this act had meant. And the first thing he does is he reminds the disciples of his authority. He's not only teacher, but he's also Lord. And I think he does this because he wants to dovetail his act of servanthood with his authority, not against it. And I think this is important because it's likely as this act was so scandalous and so kind of surprising and shocking for the disciples, it could have caused uh, some doubt in the disciples' mind as to his authority, as to his title, um, but remember in the first part of chapter 13, it said Jesus knew where he had come from and he knew whose he was. There was a sense of like confidence in his calling, his title, and ultimately then his mission that allowed him to perform this act in a sense of like self-security. And this is, this is the kind of the self-security that Jesus acts upon with the disciples. And so he does want to remind the disciples of just who he is which is important as kind of Jesus strings together his line of thought through this passage. We'll read together in John chapter 13, verse 14 to 15. It says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Here he's saying, listen, disciples, you saw what I did for you. Now I want you to go and do it for others. And this is such a beautiful picture of, of discipleship. Jesus shows them the way first. And he says, hey, look at this is how I'm doing it. Now I want you to do it yourself. And then you'll go out into the world when I'm gone and show other people how to do the same. This is kind of like a triangle of, uh, of discipleship. And we get to see this in Jesus's ministry on his last days on earth. Well, Jesus doesn't just command the disciples and leave it at that. Now, to be clear, He's teacher, he's Lord. He could have just commanded them to do it and they would have been expected to do it as those who come under his submission to his authority. 
But instead, he shows them a perfect example. Again, that discipleship moment. And he, he shows how he does, does it in his life, in his authority, in his title. And then he calls the disciples to follow after him. And again, this is like a true expression of, of the title teacher. And so now Jesus moves from our vertical response and he moves to the horizontal, um, the response that we have to others around us and to our world. And the command, what it's supposed to do is it's not complicated. Actually, it's almost like too simple where Jesus just says, wash each other's feet. That's it. Wash one another's feet. But isn't this act of, because the washing of Jesus' feet is, or the washing of each other's feet is, is for service. But isn't this so opposite to our culture? Where one of Jesus' greatest acts of authority and power was not in climbing the ladder, but instead was about racing to the bottom. Where our world says, like, you need to wash your own feet, and you need to make sure you take care of yourself and your fill-in-the-blank, and you need to keep climbing here, because if you fall behind, you're going to fall behind and you're never going to catch up. And yet here Jesus shows that it's not about climbing upward, it's about racing downward. And now I think it's, a, it's important to take a bit of a pause here as to the motivation of washing others' feet. Because our mandate that Jesus gives us is about love. It's about love. Jesus shows us this. He said that it was him showing the utmost of his love by washing the disciples' feet. But then Jesus also commands it. It's also about obedience to Christ and a true reception of his teaching. Further on in this passage, Jesus says, This is how the world will know you are my disciples, by your love, one for another. And so the motivation then is, is almost threefold. A response to what Jesus has done for us, a love for one another, but it's also a desire to obey Jesus and his teachings. And I think without that last piece, that, that commandment that Jesus gives, it can be easy to have this response of washing others' feet, of serving people as optional. Because it can waver then based on our feelings of the day or the circumstances within us or around us. But as Jesus makes this commandment, he kind of removes this excuse that we could have of like, oh, I don't feel like it. Well, this circumstance is going on, so I can't serve others. I myself can only need, I have to be served myself. But he removes this excuse by, by also commanding it. So we need to have all of those motivations, I think, working together in tandem. Now, I know that this is easier said than done. And I think the only way that we can have a heart of service, even like, and particularly in spite of challenging times, is to be walking with the Spirit, to be in regular, renewing relationship with Jesus. But let's be honest. How often do we criticize someone else's dirty feet rather than seeking to find a way to wash them instead? I know I do. I'm sure I'm not alone. That, that's maybe I think the natural proclivity of our heart is to criticize other people's feet for being dirty rather than seeking for a way to wash them. And Spurgeon kind of comments on this challenge or this, this way of living saying this. He says, in the world they criticize. This is a business of the public press and it's very much the business of private circles. Hear how gossips say, do you see that spot? What a terrible walk that man must have had this morning. Look at his feet. He's been very much in the mire, you can see, for there are the, tra for there are the traces upon him. That is the world's way. Christ's way is very different. He says nothing. 
but he takes a basin and he begins to wash away the stain. Do not judge and condemn, but seek the restoration and the improvement of the erring. Friends, the reality is we all have dirty feet. We all do. We all have made mistakes in our lives. But I think unfortunately we are much more willing to judge another for sinning differently than we do than we are to serve them by washing their feet. Or even uh, more is that sometimes we're, we're uh, pitying of other people uh, for having dirty feet, whether it's their doing or not, and yet we pity them without any action. And I think that that's actually really hollow and can be really damaging for people in their relationships. But this is not the way of Jesus. That is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to see the humanity and the dignity of people who don't deserve it, of people who maybe don't even see it themselves and reveal Jesus to them, the one who restores and reveals our humanity and our dignity as image bearers of God who can restore that brokenness that we can find in our lives. And isn't it strange though that that Jesus was so laser point in trying to like unpack this moment with the disciples. And yet he never gives a really clear, like specific application of this in this passage. Like he's so just concerned with the disciples, like getting this, so to speak. And yet he leaves the application to this very wide open. Well, and as I was studying and kind of considering why he may have done this, I came to the realization that I think it's actually for a reason. It's because Jesus invites us to serve others without a list of prerequisites or requirements for that particular service. Because if there is an opportunity for restoration, for reconciliation, for relieving of burdens or goodness to be offered, then this is simply and also profoundly washing others' feet. Washing others' feet is uncomfortable because there's a sense of intimacy, there's a sense of vulnerability that comes with this act, like you are close to those person, you're close to their kind of like stuff. Uh, but in doing so, we reveal the hands of Jesus to those who need it. And this type of servanthood takes a level of personal security and confidence only found in Jesus. It has no place for personal gain, for pride, or even reciprocity, um, the, the receiving of something back after offering a service. And as much as this is sometimes challenging that you don't get any of those things, I think there's actually a freedom in this. There's a freedom in giving and serving without expectation of anything back because it frees us from having to keep a tally score in the back of our minds. It frees us from uh, binding people to a particular like set of expectations or rules or requirements that you have but maybe haven't communicated with them. And it allows us to serve people in a way that truly is for their benefit and not for our own. There's a freedom in serving without place for personal gain, pride, or even reciprocity. Erwin McManus, a popular uh, pastor in the States, he says this. He says, you cannot wash the feet of a dirty world if you refuse to touch it. You cannot wash the feet of a dirty world if you refuse to touch it. This type of service means that we get into the trenches with people. We maybe get uh, like in deep with them and we do that with the confidence and security that's in Jesus so that we don't lose our way in trying to serve them and help them. But we get in the trenches with people. We, we go like kind of shoulder to shoulder, we brush shoulders with those that desperately need a touch either from, well, both from Jesus and maybe like a relief of something in their lives right now. 
And I think one of the most profound examples that I've ever seen of washing another's feet is when I was volunteering for an outreach uh, in Wally in Surrey. And it's one of the kind of the di most difficult places of the lower mainland. Wally is a, is a place where people are racked with experiencing homelessness, with experiencing addiction, and uh, with having tremendous mental health crisis. Um, there's a lot of brokenness in Wally. And one of the arms of, of Night Shift, the organization that I volunteered with, uh, what they do is they go out to those people. They don't expect them to come to them, but they go to these people. And uh, they visit their tent city and they give them simply like a cup of hot chocolate and a snack. And as much as that seems very feeble, that's maybe the only meal that these people will get in a day. Um, but then the other thing that's very important and central to Night Shift is that we do that, but we also offer prayer if people want it. And one of the people on my team was just absolutely like amazing at this ministry. And over the weeks of serving, she built a relationship with this lady who was experiencing addiction. She was experiencing relational issues with her boyfriend. Um, as we learned very early in our time of serving, we found out that she also actually was pregnant. Now we didn't get to see her face to face quite often. We did it every so often because she would often just stay in her tent. But uh, we came to learn that she was pregnant and every week, as much as she could find her, uh, this team member would, would find her, seek her out and offer to pray for her. And this lady would always, always ask for prayer for her baby. And more specifically for wisdom, um, if she should terminate her pregnancy or not, because it was likely that this baby would be born with severe deficits because of her drug use. And so this volunteer would pray for this lady every single week and she, she would really look for her. And this lady wasn't a believer, uh, but she was just desperate for guidance and help and to know kind of what to do. And every week that went by, we would see that she was still carrying this baby. Well, our months of volunteering ended quite shortly after that and we, we never really knew what happened to this lady. But the next year I volunteered again with the same organization and had another team that went to night shift. And this was around like six months in between ending our last time of serving and starting in this next year. And as we walked through Wally, uh, we went to one of the shelters and I was so surprised because I found this same lady that we had prayed with last year. So I remembered her, I said, hey, like, how are you doing? Like, haven't seen you in so long. It's so great to see you again. And I will never forget, I will never forget what this lady said to me. She said to me, remember how you prayed for me and my baby? And as she asked me that question, like a pit fell in my stomach, like my heart dropped. But she looked at me with tears in her eyes. And she said to me, do you want to meet him? Because of that volunteer's prayers, I carried my baby to full term. And not only that, but the baby was born without any deficits that were supposed to come from my drug use. And not only that, but the relationship with her boyfriend that was so strained was repaired in, in a miraculous way. And so they were able to kind of be this family unit. Friends, this lady had nothing to give. She had nothing to give. But that volunteer was faithful to wash her feet with God's word. And as a result, there was this beautiful bundle of life that had come from God meeting this lady, stepping into her brokenness and bringing restoration. Now I share this story not as like the standard of like how we should wash people's feet, of how we should serve, but rather I share this story to show the power that can come from simply washing someone's feet. The application uh, given in, in scripture is vague because washing other people's feet simply does look like 
offering reconciliation, offering prayer, restoration and goodness in whatever sphere of influence that you possibly find yourself in. So it may not be that you're in a volunteer position like that, but you have a family, you have friends and coworkers, uh, you have people that you'll see on the street and meet, and whoever is in front of you is an opportunity to serve, not to uh, serve as, as a project. People aren't projects, people are people. Um, but to see them as an opportunity to serve without any expectation of gain. Because in the realm of faith, Jesus defines success and service as a race to the bottom. And David Guzik explains this so well. He says, if you're going to wash one another's feet, we should be careful of the temperature in which we, uh, the temperature of the water. Sometimes we try to wash someone with our water too hot. We are too fervent and zealous. Sometimes our water is too cold. We are too, uh, we are cold and distant in heart to them. The temperature needs to be in the middle. We should also remember that we cannot dry clean someone else's feet. Jesus washed us with the washing of the water by the word, which is Ephesians 5.26. And if he did that, we should use the same water in ministering to others. Now, I love this, this quote because in the Christian world right now, the social gospel is incredibly popular. Where the gospel is social reform alone and that Jesus' second coming will only happen when the world is rid of social evil. It's like a kingdom now type of gospel. But what the social gospel kind of downplays or doesn't focus on uh, is a doctrine of sin and salvation, heaven and hell, and the not yet of the kingdom of God. Now, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. The social gospel's focus on social justice issues, the good of others, is obviously very important. And it's something I think the church has maybe lagged on over the last decades. Because Jesus himself talked about feeding the poor, clothing the naked, <clears throat> and caring for the orphan and the widow. But friends, the social gospel is not enough. It's only one part of the gospel message that sees, yes, the immediate relief to the burdens of life, but it fails to point people to the relief of the burden of sin, which is our, our eternal and cosmic struggle. And that relief is Jesus and his death and resurrection on the cross. And I think it's interesting uh, that John organizes the passage of John chapter 13 in the way that he does, because he first talks about Jesus's work of cleansing from sin, and then <clears throat> talks about our responsibility to wash others' feet, because he is presenting what is known as the holistic or complete gospel, that we are to care for people's spiritual and physical needs, and that doing one or the other actually only presents a gospel that is not found in scripture. But the gospel that people need to experience is that complete gospel, the true gospel, the one that cares about people's humanity and dignity and who cares about their, their eternal destination as well. And we accomplish that by all seeking to serve in a way that doesn't expect anything in return and that in fact defers glory and defers honor to the one and the only one who deserves it, Jesus. It's one where we uh, all race to the bottom so that those around us can be elevated above us, but most importantly, that God can be glorified as well. It can be really easy, I think, to overcomplicate our serving. But if there is someone in front of you, if there is someone that is in need, this is an opportunity to serve, period. 
Um, I think that scripture is intentionally vague about this. And I was trying to find like a concrete, really like tangible explanation, but friends, it's just simple. Serve the people that are in front of you. And we need to do that friends with the wisdom and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Because like I said, if we're in step with the spirit, that is a way that we serve people well. And if we are in step with the spirit, then he empowers us to do that in the way that they need it not necessarily in the way that we need it. Well, let's finish off our passage, starting at verse 14 and going all the way to 17. It will be a little bit of a repeat, but then some fresh scripture. Since if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sends him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Well, this passage comes with a bit of a warning. If Jesus, the very creator and author of our faith, our Lord and teacher, stoops to this level of service, then we have no excuse not to do the same. I know as I journeyed in faith, it, it's become easier and easier to justify passing off less sexy areas of serving to other people. But this is something that we have to fight against. It is something that is not even like validated in scripture because nobody is above any type of service. That as we grow in faith, we're not entitled uh, to pass off other parts of serving to others so that we don't have to. Of course, there is a discipleship opportunity and aspect where we give serving opportunities to other people, but friends, we must first go there ourselves or be willing to go there ourselves. And I would venture to say that um, we would all agree that we are not greater than Jesus. Like, I'm sure if I were to say that, you would, you would agree with me. But we are saying in our actions that we are greater than Jesus when we refuse to give of ourselves in service. And this is a little bit of a sharp rebuke in scripture from Jesus in this passage. But I think it's become incredibly easy in this season to pull back from serving. And I think that there are certainly barriers in place that make it harder to do so, of course. But friends, we cannot forget our race to the bottom. And we cannot forget the example that our Lord and teacher has shown us to say, hey, nobody is above any type of serving here. I've done it myself. And as we remember and, and commit to our race to the bottom, then it says in verse 17 that it will be our blessing and also others as we commit to this. And I have to be honest, um, I talked earlier about those kind of self-help books and I'm a little weary. I'm a little weary about hearing everything about self-help. Yes, having boundaries is healthy, they're necessary, there are some good parts of self-help. But our boundaries, friends, they need to be a garden fence and not a solid brick wall. A garden fence allows for conversation, allows for people to step over that fence in times that they need to. It does protect you. It does offer a level of like boundary if you need it, but it's not one that's impenetrable. But I think if we often like build these brick walls of boundaries, sometimes in that endeavor, we end up building a castle around us that simply props up our kingdom over Jesus's. And it, it isolates us from, from other people and from serving. And I think it's an excuse to resist the very opportunity to serve that God is giving us. Friends, this race to the bottom is often an invisible, thankless type of serving. 
But I want you to know that people in this world may not see it, but Jesus does. Jesus sees it. And is his commendation enough? It's a question I think we have to ask ourselves. Is his commendation enough? Because we know that he sees, that he knows, that he commends you for your work. But is he enough for you as you serve? Well, as we close, I want to share two pieces of scripture that have kind of helped me uh, if I'm feeling resistant or weary in washing others' feet. And I hope it encourages you today too. The first one is Galatians 6, 9. It says, and let us, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I love the we in that. Like it, it's together, like together we need to endeavor on this. And there's Jeremiah 29, 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Well, friends, as I pray, I want us to kind of reflect. Pray and reflect and listen to the Holy Spirit speak to us. Speak to each of us our identity in Him and how we can serve uh, the communities that we find ourselves in a confidence that only comes from Him as we all race to the bottom. Because as we do so, I believe that we will see a world that is changed by Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we simply just ask for you to speak to us in this moment. And we just take a moment to say like, Holy Spirit, speak. Our ears are open. And Holy Spirit, as you do speak to us, may we uh, hear what you're saying and be spurred on to action that we wouldn't create uh, solid brick walls around us, but that we would instead tear those down and see ways that we can wash in one another's feet. God, we thank you that you care about our physical needs and our spiritual need. And so Lord, I pray that we'd be partners with you uh, in showing who can fulfill all of those things. We love you and we thank you and we pray this in your name, amen. Amen. Well, friends, friends, thanks so much for joining us and we hope to see you again soon. Well, I just have a couple announcements for you as we close. The first one is uh, we want to invite you to some nights of prayer. If you happen to be able to join us in person, we would love for you to come here to the church uh, January 23rd, 24th, and 25th at 6.30 p.m. Uh, for a time of prayer. It will be interactive, it's family friendly, um, and there will be a kind of a, a number of themes throughout each night. And so we'd love to invite you to that uh, coming up really soon. And then finally, we just are so appreciative of the giving and the faithfulness of God through his people uh, in giving and allowing us to continue to do the everyday ministry here at Evangel. If you would like to partner with that financially, uh, if you go to myevangel.church forward slash give, it will give you all the ways to do that. Uh, but thank you so much again, friends, for being here, and we hope you have a great rest of your day.